You're coming at me somewhere between a James Harden and a Ben Simmons right now. Welcome to Running It Back, the lessons learned from sports podcast. I'm Mike Palmer, joined as always by Tarlin Ray. Tarlin, how are you doing this morning? I I had something I was going to say at the top, but then just as we were chatting before we came on, you said, because I was being vulnerable with you. Yeah. I think this is a tough topic. Yeah. The NFL had landed the plane on coaches and we were going to talk about that but I, I said as someone who likes to prep yeah and I treat my Friday nights and really early Saturday mornings as an opportunity to really dig in I said I, I I don't know if I have the angle I don't know if I don't know if I I know exactly what the take is yeah and you said we should just roll I'm not only am I feeling uncomfortable I'm just gonna I'm gonna wing my way through this yeah but you said going on air yeah. Like I'm a little in between Ben Simmons. Yeah. Who will will not take the two foot bunny at six ten. Yeah. Or James Harden, who's now quit on two teams and fakes a hammy. Yeah. And likes to come into training camp just a little thick. Right. And has not decided to in his thirties trim down his after game activities. So right. I don't know how to respond. Mm-hmm. And when someone says that to me, normally we're very collegial, but I'm a little now spicy. Nice. That's how I'm doing. Good, good. I mean, the Scoville chili pepper index, you're getting towards the warmer, the, the, the warmer temperatures. Spicy hot. It's not even like a temperature. It's just spicy. Speaking of spicy, you were talking NBA. This, is, this, this episode's going to launch right in the midst of the Super Bowl hangover. So the Super Bowl game will be, Super Bowl will be in our rearview mirror by the time folks are hearing this. For us, it's about to happen. So there is the NFL going on. There will be a game tomorrow. It'll be in the past, in the future. It's very exciting. The Bengals are playing the Rams. Who knows? There'll be commercials. Oh my God, those commercials, Starlin? There'll be a game. Yeah. It'll probably will be something we won't cover. And we have enough people talking about it. And then people will be thinking more about James Harden's hammy and Kyrie's how much he's saging up the locker room and whether Ben Simmons, his adenoids get activated. Who knows? What's KD going to be doing? That's next weekend. That's the all-star extravaganza coming on the rise of the NBA. But right in the middle of that, sandwiched between your NFL hangover and your NBA all-star weekend, we're running it back. And we're running it back to the NFL coaching situation, Brian Flores. Our previous episode, we talked about the NFL had a black head coach problem. I think that was borne out, and that was released the same day that Brian Flores sued the NFL in a class action suit, which Torlin has read and may have opened in front of him in the event that he needs to reference it. We wanted to follow up on the NFL coaching situation. A lot has happened. People have been hired even because when we recorded this just a couple of weeks ago, the lone man standing, I referred to him as the Highlander, although I think that analogy actually breaks down if you think about it, but that's not important. What's important is we were looking, we looking at this for a while. We talked about the Rooney rule for a while, but like a ton has happened. You've read through the Flores suit. 
shout out to Lou Moore and the Black Atwee podcast was connecting Brian Flores to Kurt Flood, which I think is an interesting angle to run it back to that history and try to think about what he's doing for NFL head coaches and and, and what's going to happen on that front. Lots of lessons learned. Can you catch our listeners up? Some of our listeners are maybe not as deeply ensconced in the tribulations of NFL front offices. You, however, you've done some of that prep, right? You've done a little bit of something here. (laughs) Brian Flores, the Tuesday after on start of Black History Month, February 1st, sued not only the NFL, but the Giants, uh, the Miami Dolphins, and threw in the Denver Broncos into that suit. Basis was a discrimination, discriminatory practices, and a lot of the trigger events was a text message from the GOAT. One, Bill Belichick, who has two Bryans in his, like I'm thinking of, of uh, Bill with a flip phone or an old school Blackberry. Two Star- Bryans. StarTech, yeah. Two, two Bryans in his Blackberry. It's funny meme, he should put Black Brian, White Brian. But two Bryans in his BlackBerry and basically prior to Flores going in to interview with the Giants, he was congratulating Brian Dobble, who we've talked about in the last pod, yeah. done great work as the offense coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, congratulated him on getting the Giants job. Yeah. So then imagine Flores and we've all known people think that the Rooney rule is a sham. Let's check that box to make sure we're talking to a minority candidate. Yeah. The night before, what is this big interview? And he's getting pumped up by members in the Giants organization because they bring in a new general manager and they're saying, we hope this all goes well. Yes. Yeah. So then sit through an interview the next day. Right. Knowing that he's not the guy. Mm-hmm. So Brian Flores, we talked about, I was upset the last pod and I, yeah. my friends were poking me a little bit because they, they could feel that I was a little upset, but they wanted me to show it and be a little more overt about it, that you just don't fire a winner. And now Brian Flores, not only is he someone who should have never got fired. And it was interesting. And we'll talk about in his lawsuit, the number of times that a winning coach has been fired, Mm -hmm. but he's done something which most would never do, which is potentially ruined his opportunity to ever coach in the NFL again by suing right. NFL and particular teams. Cause we know how close knit the 32 team owners are, right? You protect the shield totally. and the most recent example of someone being ostracized was Colin Kaepernick. So it was, it was a stunning moment on February 1st, start of black history month for the Flores suit to drop super brave by Flores. And if you do read through the 58 pages and some, you don't need to read all the legalese and yeah. there's sections that you can skip. You could read the Belichick texts. The Belichick and there's great pictures in there also. So not yeah. a lot of le- lawsuits have pictures. Right. It is a. Is there a, a thought? Is there a podcast? Of there is. You cannot hear read this, but it's not. When you read it, you're not surprised. And he is literally just bringing a lot of what's happening in NFL to light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's why I was saying running it back. I, we've talked a little bit about Kurt Flood historically, but I, I do think this is a time to make that connection back in history where folks may not remember Kurt Flood, who was a all-star 
center fielder for the Cardinals in, in the, the 1960s into the early 70s, who wound up suing Major League Baseball to question the the rights of owners to their their players' contracts and the ability of the player to actually ultimately become a free agent. Interestingly, his career suffered. He was blacklisted to a large extent afterwards, not to mention the psychological trauma he went through. He was never really the same baseball player again. I think there's more upside for Flores in his future, but it is an interesting uh, analogy and it is a, a way in which movements do change things is that the whistleblower or the, the first person to move does so to their own detriment, but ultimately in service of, of something more. And that's where I do think Brian Flores as a figure is someone we're going to continue to get to know better. And the idea that an individual can hold the owners of the NFL accountable is somewhat reminiscent of Kurt Flood doing that as a baseball player. And Flood is still remembered in labor history, particularly sports labor history. But, uh, but the idea of fair practices when engaging with a large, powerful organization, that is really what we're talking about. So we'll include a link to Wikipedia where you could read up on Kurt Flood, just like I have. Coming from the law, just some interesting things that, and you don't ever have a lawsuit come out like this, but some of the digging that we were trying to do for the last pod, just here's some facts. Rooney Rule, in the last 20 years since it was uh, instituted, there have been 129 vacancies and 15 have gone to black candidates. That's a little over 10%. That's great math right there. Yeah. Black coaches in NFL have an average lifespan or a time in seat of 2.5 years while white coaches have 3.5. So another year mm. in the seat. And we've talked about Oftentimes you're taking a team that's in a turnaround and you're not given enough time to build culture and start to see uh, sort of fruits of your labor. Steve Wilkes, we look at you, Arizona Cardinals, one year in the seat and yeah. replaced by Kingsbury, who won two more games than Steve did. And Wilkes was saddled with one Josh Rosen, who is still not even number nine pick, I'm a UCLA Bruin, but not anywhere near the talent that Kyler Murray is right. and never really given a shot. The other one was interesting in the 58 pages that I had yet to actually read was since 1978, there's only been 16 teams that have fired a winning coach. Mm. And four of those coaches that were fired were black head coaches. Yeah. Including, so, including Flores then, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's just a fascinating to read it. It's sad to see it all spelled out, whether or not claims by Flores in 2019, that it really was a sham interview that Joe Ellis and Elway had with him because he felt like he claims that it looked like they had a bender the night before and they were an hour late. It could it just be that. You know, they, they kind of have a drinking problem. I mean, isn't it possible? There are other scenarios to that, right? That culture just might be off the rails and all of their interviews, including the successful ones were like that. I'm just positing that as a, that's a hypothetical. We don't know. Don't, don't know. The claim by 
the Dolphins that he, they fired a winning coach because of poor, the language was poor collaboration. Yeah. That label sort of sticks, can stick with you and you can then uh, transition that to Flores being an angry black man. Yeah. It, the, all sorts of uh, undertones there. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're the NFL, you're happy because before the Super Bowl, you landed the plane. Mm-hmm. All positions are filled. And I think in our last pod, we said that we never, we were nowhere, definitely weren't going over three. And so in order to round out the coaching carousel, the Houston Texans hired Lubby Smith. And his beard. And his, and his beard. Black coach. Surprising hire. Um, I thought you were going to say surprising beard. He has a very pronounced, and it's mostly going white. There's a little bit of, that. that is something that is. I, I aspire to be Lubby's. I would say not beard, bad. Yeah. The beard, and I, I got some white coming in. I think it's the look of, look of the century. Future. But still, an interesting hire, but. Great. We're at two. And then Mike McDaniel, who is a biracial coach and is Wolf, is in the minority. It will fill the minority coffer. He's, uh, his dad is black. His mom is white. He identifies as a human being. Yes. A Caucasian, a Caucasian, I believe. Is that correct? As, as a Cavalasian, as Tiger, he was my black golfer. As you, Mike McDaniel you are going to be my black coach. Right. And as a father of biracial kids, they're black and Chinese and they will identify. I understand identifying is something that's tough, but for me, he he is in that list of five. We're back to five. Although when you talk phenotypically too, like he does not, that there is the whole conversation around passing with him. And does he present as would he be perceived as black by others and then if he's if the answer is no and generally the perception is he can pass his way has he how is he identified and it becomes pretty complicated when you start understanding it through that lens especially because he's the guy who's replacing flores who despite a name that makes it sound like he may be hispanic he's phenotypically he's from brownsville brooklyn and he looks black and he was a Giants fan growing up, which is the other thing. Like I started to feel more personal affinity to, to his background, which is why the Giants interview for me as a Giants fan is something that I'm really interested in as well. But I do think there has been a reaction, almost like a backlash to the backlash or, or whatever it is around the, the Mike McDaniel hire. And because uh, there is a generational component to this that, that I think is also interesting here where Flores was the rising generation black talent who you would imagine could have a Mike Tomlin run in a head coaching gig. And now for that same rising talent of of quote unquote black coach to be someone who doesn't really identify as black while the NFL is struggling with this, does, does Roger Goodell understand this nuance? Does Stephen Ross understand no, 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 no one understands that nuance. Yeah. The, and, and let's get Mike. He's not necessarily, it's an interesting interview. I've listened to three of Mike McDaniel's interviews. Yeah. Remember we talked back about 
it's not about the X's and O's. It's about the CEO. So he's yeah. just an interesting presence when someone, he walk in the room and someone would say, that's my CEO. Granted, he was an OC for a year. Went to, was, went to an Ivy League college. That other Ivy League college. He's an OC for a year. He was a running backs coordinator for three or four years under Shanahan. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the pool of coaches, we're back to the same number. We have five minority coaches, Robert Sala, Rob Rivera. We have Lovey Smith, bringing back Lovey, Tomlin, the OG, and Mike McDaniel. Yeah. Now, it's fine. And as the NFL likes to do, they just want to get on to the next story. Flora's suit will, they hope, will bleed away. Maybe they settle. Maybe there's some money. And then who knows for Flores? So I've always been pissed for Flores. I'm not going to forget. But the person I'm really pissed for, and we've talked about this last year in our Rooney Rule show. We talked about it two weeks ago, is Eric Furman sleeping with the enemy. I was going to say my, my hotter take uh, on, on Boomer's take is Eric, the enemy of the state. <laughs> you're welcome you're welcome you're practicing that worked on that so the reason i and i don't want to juxtapose i juxtapose them against daniel hackett juxtapose wherever you like darling and then double but how do you not hire eric Bienemy? so then i said okay maybe what is there a, in and you hire someone from the kyle shanahan coaching tree yeah. Uh, the Mike McDaniels of the world versus Bannemi. Mm-hmm. Great for Mike McDaniel, but I just don't understand why this guy doesn't have a job. Mm-hmm. And so then I said, I looked at past coaching hires. The closest cop is Mike Nagy, yeah. who was under the Andy Reid coaching tree. Yeah, he was under the tutelage of Andy Reid. Sorry, the tutelage. I just wanted to say tutelage, Charlotte. <laughs> Tut- tutor tutelage. Um, Three years as a QB coach under Andy Reid. Yeah. And then one year as an OC. Did he call the plays? Did he call the plays? Andy Reid said he was the best head coaching candidate ever. And about, about Nate, about Nagy. Nate. And he was scooped up. Mm. Now, Reid has been similarly as effusive when it comes to the enemy. Mm-hmm. How? Is it possible that he went through another coaching carousel and he does not have a job? I I think it's got to be, and this is in quotes, this is where maybe there are some lessons to be learned or some analogies here. I'm going to put up some scare quotes, even though our listeners won't hear it, is maybe he doesn't quote unquote interview well. What if he doesn't interview well? There is that scenario, just like maybe in the case of Denver, Maybe he doesn't know how to handle a stiff uh, Bloody Mary at the beginning of the meeting at at 9 a.m. I don't know what interviewing well means. I don't know what vibing with your higher-ups means, but maybe there's, I don't know what commanding the room, because, you know, we're learning more and more about introversion and neurodiversity. Maybe you don't need to, quote-unquote, command the room in a traditional way. The story that could be told is that there's something about the enemy that doesn't People don't want to pull the trigger, and I'm not sure what that means. I want him to get a job, but something's happening. Have you heard McDaniel to hold an interview? It is 
really uncomfortable listening to that guy. But talk. he probably shows up in like a tan suit with a tie. Then, so then I went a different way. Yeah. Because you can prep for that. Yeah. And I, I think there, there actually are, if you're agents, others, there are ways to, in the same way, if you're coming out of college and you're trying to get a job at a consulting firm, like what's the case method like? You have to do these case yeah, methods. Yeah, right. For the interview, yeah. You, you can't, you know the questions and you're just going to run through it. Yeah. So I said, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's, oh, is he actually calling the place? Correct. Andy Reid's always there with the, with the laminated pages yeah. and yeah. Andy make a call. Or I, I need that in my life too. It'd be nice to just walk around. That's memo to self. Like just get a nice laminated set of plays that I just walk around. And then when I need to think it's a challenging decision, should I have an, a cappuccino with after lunch? <laughs> I have to consult. What else do I have? What else do I have on the agenda? I'm sorry. We'll continue. Wait. But I want you to work on that. Yeah. Or Sean McVay, who right. is the coach in the uh, Super Bowl, who is often the guy looked at as the one calling in place. Yeah. He's frequently characterized as a wunderkind, I believe. He, of course he is. Until you're, as you're under 40, you will continue to be. But yeah, Kevin O'Connell is post this game is expected to be named the head coach of my Minnesota Vikings. So yeah. the offensive coordinator. Diverse GM. For the Rams. And Kyle Shanahan, who also is known as the play caller. Mike McDaniel was able to get out from under his shadow and get a head coaching job. So I just don't understand. I'm, I'm not even going to go to Leftwich. I'm not even going to some of the defensive coordinators who have literally interviewed now five, six times and just feel like they're never going to shot. Yeah. I'm in the same way during the NFL draft, we narrowed in on a single player that should not have dropped in Justin Fields. Mm -hmm. It is unbelievable to me that Bietami, who wins over players, which is imp almost impossible to do, to hold on to a team that has been this transcendent and won for four straight years and kept that group together that he does not have a head coaching job, period. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes down to the narrative around black genius and can you have a genius coach who is also black, especially an offensive genius where you talk about the NFL, a lot of it is this war analogy where are you matriculating your way down the field? Are you thinking like an offensive coordinator who has all the weapons at your disposal, which is also basically you're playing Madden is the way I understand it nowadays. But can the black head coach be ascribed that identity when typically it's withheld for the, the Shanahan's of the world or the McVeigh's of the world? And that's something where Eric Bietami also was a player, but Byron Leftwich also was a player. Is there a way to say that this type of role can be like the owners, can be well-educated, fast-tracked, got into the NFL because they loved it and then rose through the ranks? Can they be more of a traditional corporate America profile versus someone who actually wins the games, play, plays the games, wins the locker room, leads as a player and as a peer, can those folks be given that genius identity? Can they be given those opportunities? I don't think the NFL's 
ready to do that. Flores is an interesting case. He didn't, I don't believe he actually played football, but he certainly played football in the NFL at least, but he definitely presented like a player and he was a defensive coach. So I think there is something around. Isn't winning good though? hundred percent. I'm talking more the media is part of the problem. The way we talk about these former players as potential coaches, Byron Leftwich, Eric Bieniemy. I don't hear them described as geniuses. Eric Bieniemy, and there's a hole in the 58 pages of Brian Flores' suit. There's also a call out to the way the NFL has handled con- concussion suits, mm-hmm. and that black players start at worse cognitive functioning than white players. And so when a black player is saying they have issues, they're reading their concussion syndromes in a different way, and not necessarily doling out money the same way. So that's also part of oh, wow. Ryan okay. Flores is calling Fair. out. Mm-hmm. So what I reason I brought up winning at the end of the day, and someone said this to me, owners think of the teams as toys, but they want to win. And if they're investing in a team, they also want to see the value of the organization. The enemy, college national champion and a Super Bowl champion. Yeah. Don't you just want to win games? I'm pro Eric the enemy. I'm just saying there, there is a way in which it's almost like the ideal candidate for these jobs, like the, which is not something you're supposed to talk about, but people have mental models when they go into any kind of hiring exercise. And I think lots of these, I think Sean McVay in many ways is, is pretty prototypic of what these older white owners feel good about in terms of that's my coach. I feel good. That guy's representing me. Look at me. I'm hiring for youth. I'm hiring for future talent. What's interesting to me is if you think about Brian Flores, how he breaks that mold and he was rising talent who was likely going to get that job. And the NFL was building in things like the Rooney rule so that he was at least could come more on folks radar. I just think that's an interesting way to understand it, where like, how do we get through to some of these owners to make what to me seems like a straightforward choice to, to choose an Eric, the enemy or, uh, Byron Leftwich, who, you know, following up on our last conversation about Byron Leftwich, sounds like he opted out of Jacksonville, just like one of the knocks on Lovey Smith is that he opted in to a pretty terrible Texas job that he probably, if he has it now, why didn't he have it before? And why is it the time right now for him to replace David Cully? I think those are all real questions, which again, brings me back to Brian Flores, which is he was about to get undermined and gaslit from behind the scenes by the owners. Stephen Ross, I'm sure was already talking to his buddies about why Flores would be a bad hire. So I think he- Or collaboration is code for not, not controllable. Yeah, angry black man. And that's the same thing you were mentioning before, in addition to you trying not to be angry. Last time we talked about this, nobody's as cool as Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy's resting heart rate is probably about 12. The guy shows little or no emotion. And then Tomlin just sees. But it's the same kind of thing where you're not allowed to be demonstrative. You're not allowed to be... Unless you're Dan Campbell in the Lions because he's really passionate. Exactly. And it's... He's breaking the mold, the mental model of a white head coach. He's almost playing that role a little more what's traditionally been 
a Mike Tomlin or arguably a Brian Flores. He's also an offensive player, so it's interesting. The reality is Mike McDaniel, he makes me think race, colon, it's complicated. Like that's the reality is at the end of the day, these conversations are complex. Capilation, Tiger got a lot of blowback on that. And I think there's a lot yeah, but of- still in the Dave Chappelle race draft, we took him number one. <laughs> exactly. And also I would imagine in the race draft, where would Mike McDaniel go? I guess it depends on whether he can continue the turnaround that- Go win something. Brian Flores was able to do something. <laughs> but then the other point that, uh, that's crazy to me, Tarlin, is the conversation about being paid to tank. If that's true, to me, that seems the fact that maybe it was tied to race is a connection that would need to stand up assuming this ever, ever actually goes to court. I, I still think it's probably going to get settled. The NFL has a way of paying to make things go. The NFL is allowing Dan Snyder to determine whether or not to disclose his internal investigation and what happened in his own organization. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Commander Snyder. There's all sorts of trouble there, but I do think it's an interesting time to be thinking about race and even the Rooney rule, how it, it makes with such a small set where you're saying there's 30 names we're going to be talking about to figure out whether they count as one minority coach or are they a fraction or like it, it just all gets into it's almost like unless they 23 and me the whole head coaching staff to understand their backgrounds it does feel like there's just a need to awaken more to the complexity of conversations about race and the reality that it's all a social construction anyway i'm not sure how we get out of it because i still think the people who make the decisions and have the money, have the ownership stake. If Dan Snyder hasn't been held accountable, I'm not sure what comes out of this is going to ultimately drive more accountability. Unless maybe if the media and people's purchasing habits change. Those are the ways in which actual change gets driven. We're on the eve of the game and their ratings are going to be through, through the roof, despite the fact that they kind of have some less than spectacular matchups. It's not like Mahomes versus Aaron Rodgers. For example, I just, my hope is that this time next year, we are not talking about the Rooney rule, that we don't have to run it back. This is the third of our, I don't know, 50 plus pods. This is the third time we're covering this topic. Yeah. Which goes to show how broken the NFL is. So my hope is, and I'm not hopeful, but Flores suit does something. At the end of the day, you need to put posters on the wall where there's showing that there's possibility for more folks. And it just is insane to me when you look at the makeup of the NFL that you just don't have more representation. So I hear everything you're saying. The NFL is the shield. It's, it is a beast onto itself. Whether or not some of the folks internally that said that there is a double standard, whether or not they can actually affect change, we'll see. Right. Um, but my hope is that Brian Flores, what he's done is massively brave, that he actually is able to, to make some movement and that instead of wiping out two because Lovey wins only one game next year and Deshaun doesn't come back and they had some, some unwritten agreement that love you just hold the seat for a period of time and then we're 
numbers fall back and then whatever that we actually get to five and then we get right. to seven. And it's not because of anything other than folks are qualified. Just hire them, damn it. Well, it's all, and they're also representative of the league. Like that's the other misalignment there is that for roughly 70% of the players to be black and then for three to five coaches to be identified as minority in some capacity is a pretty wide gap. And that's also why I think former players as coaches is an interesting angle uh, as well. I think there's other ways in which you could ultimately get closer to equity that aren't necessarily identifying exclusively by race. Are there other criteria that you could build into Rooney rule that are more aligned to the composition of the players association and how they think about their alumni? I, I just think there's other ways to, to broaden the conversation, even while you're one of your goals is to move this metric. Any lessons learned for, from you? What are you taking away? Because we are going to want to talk more. I'm going to want to talk more about the NBA because that soap opera, that it's just entering into its sweeps this year. And even looking at the NBA draft, the draft that's most interesting to me right now is the one in which James Harden was chosen last, where Kevin Durant chose Rudy Gobert over James Harden while LeBron James was cracking up behind his clipboard. That's the kind of content that you'll be getting from us soon here on Running It Back. But while we're clo we're going to close off on this short-term chapter, unless something else crazy happens, which it certainly did. But any closing thoughts as we're winding things up? Lessons learned? What are you taking away from the NFL's black coach problem? Yeah, I, I spent some time, and that's why I said it was incomplete for me trying to figure out the why behind some of the firings, whether it's a a coach like Caldwell, who's a winning coach, and then they lose their top talent, their quarterback, and then they have a bad year and they get fired. Yeah. So I was trying to, to draw a link between the top talent, which is ultimately the quarterback and coaches live and die by that quarterback yeah. to what happens in the NBA where the coaches are saddled and tied to their top talent as well. Mm -hmm. Yet there's a lot of movement. There's movement with that top talent and coaches are given more time knowing that it's a player league mm -hmm. and that if you uh, lose a Harden or a Doc Rivers being able to call out an all-star point guard in Ben Simmons, who they signed to a big contract yeah. and then calling him out caused him to sit out a whole year. Yet Doc is immune and they can continue to soldier on. Yeah. So there's just a lot more, and, and granted, it's tough in the NBA, people don't hold their job for tenure, but they just have a lot more political capital. They're just more on firmer ground mm -hmm. than NFL. And that, that to me was where I was starting to go. Yeah. And it's hard for any leader knowing that when you take a job and you're getting hired, oftentimes it's not because the leader is going off in the sunset and they just won the championship and they, the cupboard is full yeah. and everything is great. Yeah. Get the job. It's often because things suck. Yeah. And so you need time. And so for me as a leader, you need the time to build culture, mm -hmm. to bring in the people that match your system yeah. and then for you to excel. Mm -hmm. And I just don't get, you cannot do that in two and a half years mm -hmm. as a black coach, if that's the average time a, a black coach has. Because you're going into a crappy situation. So that to me, mm. the lesson learned anywhere, yeah. time is the most valuable asset for any leader. Yeah. And the question going in, and maybe that was why Leftwich pulled himself out is, 
he knew with a different GM, yeah. he wouldn't have a, the Trent Balky with a hair trigger because something's not going. Well, he had someone that he knew yeah. that is willing to take the time to build something. Right. So take something from Leftwich and take something from Flores. Mm. And I'm going to go buy myself a, an Eric Bienemy shirt because he should get it. He should have a job. Yeah. Bienemy of the state. All right. Thank you for listening. Ready to get back. Follow us at readygetback.fm. We're going to be at South by Southwest EDU in the beginning of March 7th. Meet us down there on the podcast stage. Tarlin Ray, Mike Palmer. Thank you for listening.